Welcome everyone to the championship edition of Dan and Joe's Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Joe, before we get into the playoff uh, recap of uh, the NFL, I do want to get back into a little bit of uh, Clemson and LSU like we were talking on the last show with, of course, the college football playoff final. Um, you know, I wanted to lead off our show this time with uh, Locker Room Talk, which our Locker Room Talk is also brought to you by our fine sponsors, um, Beach Ball Properties, run by my good friends Hunter and Ginger Harrelson. Um, Hunter probably hasn't talked to me in the last couple months because he's a huge Alabama fan. Of course, uh, Alabama not only lost to LSU in, in a game that wasn't as close as it should have been, they lost a classic game to Auburn that they probably should have won and were the better team. And I haven't really heard anything from Hunter since then. But good friend of the show, uh, good time to go down to Orange Beach. A little bit of kind of weird weather. It's not, uh, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's foggy. But I'm sure if you call it 100 right now, this would be a good time to get a vacation spot at Orange Beach. Probably be a lot of openings. Uh, give my good friends Hunter and Ginger a call at Beachwall Properties. Also, shout out to our other sponsor, uh, Jensen Computer Technologies, located right outside Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Contact uh, Ryan and Daryl Gale Jensen for all of your computer needs, whether it's uh, residential or commercial. All right, so this week's locker room talk. Uh, David, who was the 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 you know the guest of our show last time, brought out the point that Auburn has a history of having great seasons and then terrible seasons, uh, and you never really know what it's going to be. And the greatest example of that is what many consider to be the worst college football coach to ever win a national championship. And that's of course Gene Chizik. I, I worked with the Auburn football team the year we won the national championship with Cam Newton and Gene Chizik as a coach, and I'm a big fan of Gene Chizik as a person. Really one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's really genuine. He loves his family. Great relationship with the Lord. Uh, probably not the best overall head coach, though. And if you were to tell me he's the worst one to win a national championship, I would say probably him or Larry Coker. But what made me think about this is Gene Chizik had a transcendent player. Um, arguably the greatest college football season of all times, what Cam Newton did at Auburn. And he single-handedly won them a national championship. And Joe Burrow pretty much did the same thing. He had a little bit of better talent around him overall, especially the wide receiver position than what Cam did. But he's definitely one of those players that you take him away from LSU, they lose, what, Joe, three, four games maybe? They lose to Alabama. They probably lose to Auburn. Uh, maybe even lost to Texas. And so then they're a 10-win team, and LSU fans are probably pretty happy at the end of the season, but not satisfied. And – you look at what he did that got Joe Burrow to get so good. He brought in what might be the new Lincoln Riley in terms of offensive uh, know-how at a young age and 30-year-old Joe Brady, who now is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Panthers. And, and Joe, I just can't help but think in my mind that there's so many similarities to Gene Chizik's 2010 season. With Gene Chizik, it was everyone knew Cam Newton was the reason that Auburn won the national championship. But who was the guy who was directing the offense there that was getting a lot more acclaim than Gene Chizik? Gus Malzahn. A lot of people wanted him to fire Gene Chizik after that season and go ahead and hire Gus to be head coach. And there was a lot of people that thought he was the main reason they won it. And then you look at the next season, they lose Cam, uh, they lose Nick Fairley on defense, things go downhill. And, you know, I'm looking at it with LSU. They have a tough schedule next year. They're on the road against Auburn. Uh, they, they have Texas again at home. 
Um, you know, and there just seems like there's a lot of things that are that are trending towards LSU not having as good of a season. And you kind of wonder, especially if they lose Dave Aranda, if Ed Orgeron got his one and then he's going to revert back to being an average coach. Well, then, I definitely think that a lot of LSU fans um, look at it similarly to how you do and how I do as well, that they were more of a one-hit wonder. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on them to capitalize on this season, more so than Clemson, because it's going to be hard for them to ever get back to this point again for the foreseeable future. I mean, I was talking about it in our last show, how crowded the SEC West is right now with the great coaches. And then also you have Georgia with Kirby Smart. It's going to be hard to win that conference year in and year out. And with Joe Burrow departing to the NFL, I know that Miles Brennan's probably going to be the starter next year. He's an older guy. He'll probably perform well, but I don't think well enough to um, you know get back to this point again. Uh, I don't think that LSU will have the Gene Shizik effect. Like, I don't expect um, an 0-8 season coming in the next couple yeah, of years. I don't think there's too much, too much talent there for that to happen. But I see more of uh, what happened to Les Miles kind of, you know, getting in this phase of, you know, a lot of eight, nine-win seasons, maybe even some seven-fives, and kind of leaving the fans, you know, a little bit frustrated because they have a lot of talent but it's just hard to compete in the crowd of the West Division. Well, that's what I think, too. I mean, you look at next season, they're not going to have Burrow. They're not going to have Grant Delpit. Uh, Justin Jefferson's going to the pros. I think Tyler uh, Queen's going to the pros. And there's going to be a lot of big-time contributors that are gone. And, I mean, we'll definitely see what kind of real coach that Orgeron is at that point. And, you know, another similarity with Gene... Gene Chizik, uh, Orgeron was an abject failure at Ole Miss. There's no doubt about that. Gene Chizik came in with a losing record from Iowa State, and no one could understand why they hired him at Auburn. And both of them came in with losing records as head coaches and then did what they did that one season. Now, I really hope that it doesn't go for uh, Coach O the way it did for Gene Chizik. But like I said, it seems like there are a lot of telltale signs that that's going to happen. So next season, I think it's very huge for us seeing if LSU is here to stay or if maybe he's changed his part too. Yeah, it's going to be a fun watch. Well, so we talked about Gene Chesnick probably being the, the penultimate and the one-year wonder as a head coach. I would venture to say, though, I think Larry Coker has got to be the, the worst coach to ever win a national championship. He inherited an absolute gold mine in Miami. I mean, just loaded at every position. We're talking Ed Reed. Uh, Dorsey, Willis McGahee, um, just a ridiculous team that probably had about eight or nine starting players in the NFL, arguably the greatest college football team of all time. And he won a national championship with that, and then the U ever since then has gone completely away. He lost the next season to Ohio State with still all those same players and an Ohio State team that, I mean, could you even name a single starter in the NFL that came off of that? I can't think of any. I mean, they're, they're great, their great running back would have played in the NFL, except for he tried to, you know, try to wreck the system and get in as a freshman. And that was really like the only player that Ohio State had. And so Coker loses that game where he's infinitely more talented than Ohio State. And then Miami goes to the dumps, and the U still hasn't come back yet. Yeah, one of the differences I do see, though, between Larry Coker and Ed Orgeron is that that was Coker's first season, I believe, in Miami. It was. Whereas with Orgeron, this is, I guess, his third full season 
um, the fourth year that he's been with the program. So I do think that he has built the roster. You know, he was responsible for believing in Joe Burrow and um, acquiring him. You know, as a transfer when you saw coaches like Scott Frost, uh, notably, that did not uh, want him in Nebraska. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think that. You know, we'll see. Ed Orgeron has a chance to definitely get off this list, but right now I'm definitely putting him in the, in the Coker and Chiswick realm of worst coaches to ever won a national championship. Which, I don't know if there's anybody else that even fits the bill on that one. Can you think of anyone else that, that falls into that? that they had one national championship, maybe because of a great player or circumstances or a bevy of talent, and they never did it again. I can't think of anybody else in college football, but the first name, of course, that comes to mind in pro football is John Gruden with the Buccaneers. Yeah. Because you look at him inheriting that great defense, and then also he was playing uh, his previous team, uh, the Raiders, in the Super Bowl, so he knew you know, all of their offensive play going. That's right. Well, let's switch to the NFL right now. Um, speaking of knowing uh, all of the offensive play calls, it looked like the Titans have basically gone in and read the playbook with the Ravens in that game. And, and Joe, I kind of saw it coming a little bit. I know I predicted on the show that the Ravens would win, but I never trusted Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. I watched him last year, and, I mean, he looked so out of sorts against the Chargers and just got completely beat down. And then this season, it looked like Derrick Henry could throw the ball better than Lamar Jackson in that game we saw. By the way, what an amazing throw by Derrick Henry for a running back. I couldn't believe that play. I mean, he put that in a place that I think half of the NFL quarterbacks would be happy if they could make a throw like that exactly where only his guy could get to. That was something I didn't know that Derrick Henry could do. Um, but Lamar Jackson was terrible in that game. I mean, he couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. He almost played worse than Trevor Lawrence did in the national championship game. And it kind of looks like that Lamar Jackson might be one of those guys that is great when it doesn't matter, but when the lights get bright, he fades away. Yeah, he um, showed some regressions on Saturday night as far as the passing game because that was one thing everybody was complimentary in his improvements. But then, you know, you saw him uh, largely inaccurate on Saturday night. And I agree with you that coming into the matchup with the Titans, I thought that Tennessee had a really good shot to win this game or at the very least stay in the game until the wire because um, they have Derrick Henry. And good defense, and when you have a running game and a good defense on the road, you have the ability to eat up clock to steal possessions from the opposing offense, and that can keep you in a game. And Derrick Henry did not just steal possessions, he uh, is, at, is having one of the best postseasons that I've ever seen, not only from a running back, but a player in NFL history, averaging almost 190 yards a game on the ground through two games and basically single-handedly carrying this offense. It's like a throwback game. And you think about how Ryan Tannehill has been able to win two playoff games on the road against uh, great competition with the Patriots and the number one seed Ravens, despite throwing for fewer than 100 yards in both games. <laughs> and wide receivers and H.A. Brown have been basically a non-factor. So just really impressed with what uh, King Henry is doing. Yeah, it kind of almost makes you think of like that 2000 Ravens team with uh, Trent Dilfer at quarterback, a really awesome defense, and then uh, 
Jamal Lewis at running back, who would get about 150 yards a game and just control the clock. But, you know, I just it, it makes me think. I remember on draft day, you kept seeing different people getting picked up, and then no one would take Derrick Henry. And I was like, I know the running back position is like devalued now in the pros, but the guy's a monster. I mean, how could you not think that he would be successful? Um, I'll tell you why I knew Derrick Henry would be a success in the pros. Uh, my wife and I, I took her to her first Iron Bowl. I guess it was the 2015 season. And we were there when Derrick Henry took 48 carries. And it didn't even look like he was doing that good against Auburn because it was like boring five or six yard runs. But that's what he did every time they gave him the ball. And then at the end of the game, he had like 245 yards and three touchdowns. And it was, it was so good, but you didn't even know it was good. And he's the only running back I've maybe ever seen that can do that. And his durability is second to none. And I know that there were some people, you know, that were critical of running backs coming out of Alabama. We see like the Trent Richardsons that didn't amount to as much. But Derrick Henry, you're right, he's a transcendent player. And just his size, 6'2", 6'3", uh, 240 to 250 pounds, I mean – that's a hard athlete to find. That's a generational talent. And you look back at the running backs like Leonard Fournette that were selected over him, Jacksonville would love to have a second opportunity at that selection. Well, I mean, if you ever wanted to see who was better between Fournette and Henry, did you ever watch an Alabama-LSU game when they played each other? I think Henry got about a buck eighty in those games. And, you know, Fournette was lucky if he got past the line of scrimmage. That's true. So. I mean, you know, but I, I was I was happy for it because the Titans are a team that I wanted to see have success again. I mean, you know, they, they made such a splash when they first came out. They played the, the Super Bowl and got within a half a yard of beating the Rams. And then since then, they've really been kind of a average to poor team in the NFL. And suddenly you got Derrick Henry. Um, you know, we thought Mariota was going to be the guy for a while, but Tannehill's having – what in my mind seems a little bit like a um, – who's the, the Eagles quarterback that's now the Jags quarterback type season? Oh, uh, Nick Foles. Yeah, it seems like kind of like a Nick Foles type thing where, you know, Foles had his chance as a starter somewhere else. He had a, he had a good amount of hype coming out of college. Did okay with the team he was at before, but no one was ever happy with him. He gets taken to a place that has a big-time quarterback on their roster, but who either through injury with Carson Wentz – or with, um, with Mariota just struggles and maybe a little bit of attitude, suddenly has a great season. And Tannehill, I think he leads the NFL in uh, completion percentage right now. Yeah, he's been very impressive, very efficient down the stretch for the Titans. Um, the reason that they're in this position, even though you know, you're going to give the credit to the defense and Derrick Henry. And um, he plays with a chip on his shoulder because he was kind of an afterthought and that 2012 draft that included RG3 and Andrew Luck, and you see that he and Russell Wilson are still playing at a high level, and the other two guys are no longer in the league. Yeah, and you know, you look at the receiving talent that the Titans have right now. Uh, A.J. Brown's having a fantastic season, uh, basically a walking billboard for recruits to come play wide receiver at Ole Miss, him and D.K. Metcalf. And... I mean, the Titans right now, they're a tough out because, you know, no one puts up a lot of points against them. I think the Saints had probably one of the better offensive performances against the Titans. They only put up like 31 points. 
And you just don't get many possessions because Derrick Henry's going to get one or two first downs pretty much every single drive. They're going to take five or six minutes off. So it's a little bit of an old-school football attack you have to go against. And, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised right now if maybe the Titans pull up their first ring. I, I wouldn't either. I mean, I, I read a statistic when Henry rushes for over 100 yards, uh, they've not lost this year. In that game that they lost to the Saints, Henry actually set out that game. That's true. All right, so let's look at who they're going to be playing. And I'll be honest with you, Joe, I had a lot of stuff to do at work this week, and I just kind of, like, peeked at the score every now and then. And I got an angry call from my dad about he couldn't believe that the Chiefs were down 24 to nothing <laughs> and were winning at the end of the first half. Uh, but talk about, like, it, a little bit like LSU with how they just turned it on. And when Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs turned it on, you couldn't stop them. And they just loaded up the scoreboard. And what, when they, after they got down 24 to nothing, they were like 52 to 7 the rest of the game? Just a, a crazy comeback and really kind of amazing beatdown from where they started off. Yeah, it was just crazy and unfathomable how uh, the, time, the uh, Texans were in complete control of the game. They were doing whatever they wanted to in the first quarter, and then the second quarter belonged to the Chiefs. I mean, the run that they had, I think it was like 41 and unanswered points before uh, the uh, Texans scored again. I mean, who saw that coming? Uh, I know that they were benefited by a few uh, questionable calls by the Texans, most notably the decision to uh, do the fake one attempt that failed uh, in um, Chiefs territory when they were up by 17 points, 24 to 7. That gave the Chiefs a short field. But at the end of the day, with the pressure that's on Andy Reid um, to win this year, especially with Tom Brady out of the playoffs, the Patriots not in the playoffs. For them to be able to get behind like that at home with all the pressure on them and to mount a comeback, I mean, that, that was just very impressive. Well, it is, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they do against the, in this game because this is going to be a very uh, a game of completely uh, contradictory stops. Of course, with Mahomes, you run a basically an LSU-type offense. It's wide open, throwing all the time, you know, kind of pizzazzy play calls. And then with Derrick Henry, it's 1940s football. You're running it three yards in the cloud of dust, controlling the clock. And it's going to be interesting to see if Mahomes can have the kind of success against the Titans defense that he had against a pretty good Texans defense. Yeah, man, I'm almost tempted to go with the upset and take uh, the Titans. And if they could pull this off, you know, they would have defeated the top three seeds in the AFC on the road. And then let's say they played the 49ers in the playoffs. I mean, that's one of the, in the Super Bowl, I mean, that's one of the most difficult paths a team might ever go to potentially win a Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, um, I am going to go with the Chiefs at home um, on the street of Patrick Mahomes. I think he's going to put forth a superhuman effort and basically win the game single-handedly with his arm. Because what what hurts the Chiefs is that they don't have a great running game. And that's a huge advantage to the Titans with Derrick Henry. But I just think Mahomes will be able to do enough um, through the aerial attack with uh, Tyreek Hill, with Kelsey, Demarcus Robinson, with Hardman. I think they'll be able to squeak out a victory, but it will be a classic game. I think it will be kind of back and forth. Um, I see the Chiefs winning 37-35 to 35 in a wild win. Yeah, Joe, I, I kind of like the Chiefs in this game, too. I think what the Titans have done is a great story. 
I think they have a, a base to be a, a player in the NFL in the playoffs and maybe win a Super Bowl in the next few years. But I think this Chiefs team is maybe a team of destiny. You're looking at it right now. You mentioned earlier their biggest nemesis, the Patriots. Andy Reid's, you know, uh, and the, the end of Andy Reid's playoff success has come at the hands of the Patriots so many times. They're out of the way right now. Mahomes isn't going to have to go against Tom Brady in a tight game when maybe the officials are going to be set aside with the Patriots a little bit. So he's got that going for him. He's the biggest name right now. Um, that effort that Patrick Mahomes had in the second, third, and fourth quarters against the Texans, I think is going to give them so much confidence right now. And I think that even with the Titans being able to control the clock a little bit, they're just not going to have enough offense, I think, to beat this Chiefs team. And I like the Chiefs in a close game, too. I do think that the Titans are going to be able to hold them down a little bit. They're not going to put up 50-plus on them. But I kind of like, similar to what you said, I like the Chiefs in this game, 35-31. to 31. Okay. Uh, switching to the other side, uh, I'll be honest, Joe, I'm not near as excited about the NFC right now as I am about the AFC. I think that that game between the Chiefs and the Titans is going to be great, two exciting teams to watch. I don't really care that much about this 49ers-Packers matchup. You're looking at it, and I understand that probably from football purists, this is like two of the bluest bloods in the NFL taking on each other. But I just, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't near as good as he used to be. They're not putting up the kind of yards and, you know, points that they, they had before. And plus, I think they're about to run into a buzzsaw. I think that not just the 49ers are better than the Packers, they're way better than they are. I mean, I'm looking at probably a 21-24 point win by the 49ers in this game. I think the Packers are the most overrated 13-3 and team in the history of the NFL, and that includes the Saints team that went down, which I think there was a lot of lack of motivation there. And I just, I just don't see them having much of a chance against a 49ers team that really is just great top to bottom. Well, a lot of experts uh, share your opinion. I was looking at some predictions for the final score, and I saw like some 35 to 10 scores, uh, which kind of surprised me. But, you know, with the way the 49ers have played all season defensively, with the way the game went um, in round one between these two teams on Sunday night back in like October, um, it wouldn't surprise me if the 49ers just took it to the Packers. Um, I also share in your uh you know, approach to this game, I'm not really that interested in it, largely because I'm still, you know, disappointed that the Saints are not an NFC Championship game. Um, as a Saints fan, the 49ers have burned us so many times, I get really tired of them. And they did it again this year. Yeah, and they always seem to beat us on some last-second play. And then uh, with the Packers, you know, and I don't hate the Packers. I have a lot of friends that are Packers fans, but I am kind of, you know, jealous of the fact that they got the two-seed despite the fact that the Saints and Packers had the same record at 13-3. and three. didn't really like how the tiebreakers played out. Man, beat us. I mean, you know, like, I, I didn't understand how that really worked out. It was something like they had a better record against the NFC than we did. Is that what it was? Yes, that was the tiebreakers. So I didn't really like that with the quality of the schedule and the wins that the Saints had. Yeah. But again, that's another Roger Goodell problem. That is, that is a Roger Goodell problem. <laughs> exactly. But, but all that being said, I also like the 49ers to win this game. But I do think that there's something about Aaron Rodgers um, in this game that intrigues me. Um, the 49ers are a team that did not draft him number one overall in the, the 2005 draft. They took out yeah, Alex Smith instead, despite the fact that 
Aaron Rodgers was a local guy and played college football in California. And I think that this is his you know, chance of revenge, and so I think he'll play better than he has all season and help the Packers stay in this game. And the 49ers, remember, um, even though they destroyed the Packers earlier in the season, it is tough to beat a team twice, and the 49ers have had a lot of close calls, a lot of games that just went their way, like the Saints game, and then most notably uh, the game against the Seahawks yeah. on the last uh, day of the season, which, where I still can't figure out how the Seahawks were able to punch it in that close, so uh, we don't want But I, I see the 49ers winning, but I think it would be kind of an ugly defensive uh, field possession game where uh, Jimmy Garoppolo just doesn't make any mistakes. Packers maybe have a turnover or two. I like the 49ers to win 19-17, to 17, a very ugly game. Yeah, well, Joe, at least your game is competitive. I like an ugly game that I'll probably turn off midway through the second quarter. I like the 49ers in this game, 31 to 13, in the absolute snooze fest. I just, I just don't see how the Packers are going to get get that many yards or points against them, and they just don't match up man for man very well with the 49ers. And I look for uh, Aaron Rodgers to take a lot of sacks by a really good defensive line. Um, you know, of course with with D Ford on one side, and then um, you know everything else that with of course the Bowman also on their defensive line, and I don't see them being able to get a lot of yards running with Aaron Jones. I think Jones is a pretty good running back against not great competition, but I haven't really seen him elevate his game. And you know my biggest criticism I've had of the Packers ever since Aaron Rodgers has been there is still the case they don't have playmakers in the wide receiver position. Devontae Adams is a good NFL wide receiver. He's not Michael Thomas. He's not a you know he's not an upper level guy. He's not an Amari Cooper, and they've never given Aaron Rodgers that. And sadly, it looks like he's going to end his career at Green Bay of never having a top five receiver. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see uh, Jimmy Graham have kind of a vintage uh, performance and you know turn back the clock um, on Sunday. I would especially love to see that at San Francisco, but um, you know probably not going to happen. It's going to be tough for the Packers uh, to move the ball. Yeah. And if you notice, Joe, we're not talking, neither one of us are talking about any of those NFC playoff games because those were snooze to us. Um, the Vikings, you know, they, they beat the Saints in a game where the Saints played their D game and gave away every opportunity they have. And of course, the 49ers just absolutely destroyed them, which is what we all knew was going to happen when that game, you know, was set off. And then on the other side of it, the Packers beat a probably the worst Seahawks team we've seen in a few years. And really ugly game where Russell Wilson summoned a little bit of courage at the very end of the game and brought him back. But, you know, the Seahawks, are, they're, they've improved their talent at the wide receiver position a little bit with DK Metcalf. But they had to bring a, you know, 55-year-old Marshawn Lynch out of retirement to try and get a running game going. And they just didn't have a whole lot on offense. And so you just kind of knew that the, four, the Packers would get there. But I just, you know... I'll be honest, this is probably one of the least excited I've been about an NFC Championship game in a long time. No, I definitely, you know, share that belief. Um, the other side story, though, I, I took away from the weekend, I did see kind of a puzzling move. The Cleveland Browns hired the Vikings offensive coordinator as their head coach. After he put forth a very impressive 10 points on that San Francisco. Man, what a lame hire by the Browns. Like, you know you're a bad franchise when Matt Rule, who took over the Baylor Bears, who were mired in 
you know, a huge federal lawsuit about sexual assaults on campus, and now Art Briles can't even get the Missouri State head coaching job. Uh, Matt Rule's like, no, I'm sorry, I'm a little too good for your job, Browns. I'm not going to take it. But what about, and Matt, not only will I take it, I won't even interview with you. And so, I mean, what a bad week for the Browns football right now with all of this amazing talent they have, and they're getting told no to interviews by someone who will take the Baylor job. Especially with all the big names that are linked to them, like Urban Meyer, like uh, Lincoln Riley at times, and then they settle for somebody that, you know, I'm not even sure how to be the page. <laughs> I mean, do people even think the Vikings had a good offense? I would have never known who the Vikings offensive coordinator was. I mean, everyone was everyone was shocked that Kirk Cousins threw for 200 yards against the Saints, and you're going to hire a guy who people are shocked that his quarterback throws for 200 yards in a game? Like, come on, y'all. So, I mean, they're a defensive team. I mean, Mike Zimmer, that's a defensive philosophy. All right, Joe, but I will say this, though. We'll get into this more when we do our Super Bowl preview. I'm very excited about the Super Bowl halftime show. I love me some Shakira. The hips don't lie. I was a big fan of her when I was a kid. Definitely, you know, uh, definitely childhood crush right there. I'm glad to see that she's getting her chance to, to be on the big stage. Uh, don't really care about Jennifer Lopez. They should have just had Shakira on it. And, you know, with the Super Bowl matchup, um, I think a lot of people would like to see a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl because in year 100 of the NFL, you know, it would be kind of cool to see um, a rematch of Super Bowl one. Yeah, that would that would be cool. I mean, and that would you know you'd see two of the best quarterbacks going against each other. But I definitely am seeing it right now. I'm seeing Chiefs 49ers, and what will be an interesting game that contrasts the styles. It would be. If it's Chiefs-Packers, though, that's the State Farm Bowl. They should be sponsored. <laughs> that, is, that is a good point right there. All right, man. Well, uh, looks like we're seeing the State Farm Bowl, and thank you for all of our listeners. And uh, like I said, check us out on Spotify. Look up the Dan and Joe Sports Show. I'm about to go post the, the shows on there right now. Uh, and as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.